demons have to flee. So, anybody else? God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good, God. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to see your grace, God. It's not just a word. It's not something just that we speak. It's not an imaginative thing, God. Thank you for allowing us to see your grace. I don't like the storms. I don't like the troubles. I don't like the things that sets up sometimes to be able to see it. But I thank you, God, that you can see it, that it's there, it's present. It's that ever-present help in times of trouble. God, thank you for mercy that forgives us of our sins and loves us in spite of us. God, I thank you, Lord, for this church, Lord, for these people, God. Lord, for so many, though, that, that they pray for one another as we pray for one another and, and, and pray for you intervene, God. Thank you for the prayers that we've seen you answer. God, you've heard these requests, and you know the needs, God. I ask you, Father, would you be with us tonight, Lord? I pray you teach us something from your word, God. I pray you'd help us, Father, to be in one mind and one accord right here at Faith Baptist Church. We love you. We thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had this ready last week. I did everything but get to preach it. So so we're going to go ahead and take a shot at it. But I'm all about God's time. Amen. It, it, it wasn't for last week, but it was for this week. Acts chapter 13, we'll pick up verse number 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, it was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. From thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. Thank you. You guys can be seated at standing. We'll pick up. They may get a few more verses, but we'll study as long as, as time allows. So chapter 13 opens up a whole new life of the church. You know, what we're looking at in the Acts of the Apostles is the beginning of the church. We started, we, we were at Pentecost, we were at the preaching there, and the 3,000 souls saved, and it's the beginning of the church, and, and then how Philip goes and preaches at Samaria, and there's a beginning of a church there, and, and then we get the church up at Caesarea, and we, we see God move, and things are building. This is a, a whole nother realm. This is a whole new beginning as God begins missions, or what we would call missionaries. I know when Philip went to Samaria, that's somewhat of a mission trip, but that was just to a specific city. That would have been more like a revival, although wasn't anybody to revive. It was all about salvations. I know when Peter went up to, to Caesarea and he preached to Cornelius' house and people were saved, that wasn't, that wasn't a mission trip. That was just God sent a man, just like when he sent Philip down to talk to the Enoch on the, on the road to the south toward Gaza. Those were individual trips where God sent a man, God sent a person for a specific purpose, just like he sends you. Just like he sends us, specific. But this is, this is whole different. This is sending someone out into the mission field to be a lifelong missionary. Now, something important here in these first few verses. In all honesty, I was praying about it last week. God, can I save and do this on Sunday morning? I really feel like there's a lot of things in these first few verses that this whole church needs to hear. But I felt confident that God wanted me to do it on a... I thought maybe when I didn't get to preach last, Sunday, last Wednesday night, I thought, that's a sign right there, right, God? That means I get to do it on Sunday morning. He's like, no, I got something else. So, so we looked at God's timing on Sunday morning. And we, we, we looked at sometimes you got to be still, but what it's like to be still. So God has a plan, and he brings us back to now. But 
when I look at the men who were at the church at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, we read about all throughout the Bible, but this is early days. These guys are members here at the church at Antioch. Simeon and, and Lucius, this is two of the men that founded the church at Antioch. They got there before the apostle Paul, remember? They, they had to go back and get help when God began doing things. So this is some of the founders of the church. These are the guys that preach on Sunday morning, preach on Sunday night, preach on Wednesday night. These are the guys that head up Judgment Journey. They are the inventors of He's Alive. They're the ones that, that orchestrate everything. They're the guys that run the sound. They're the guys that take care of the video. They're the guys that teach Sunday school and do emerge and focus youth ministers. I mean, these are the guys of the church. These are huge pieces of the church in terms of the functioning of the church. They're the staff. They're the ones coordinating things, putting things together. These men are, are from a human perspective. Y'all bear with me. I'm speaking simply of human perspectives. From a human perspective, these are some important men in the church. I mean, to lose these men would be huge, right? I'll just go ahead and tell you, any church that loses one man and the church falters, the church wasn't set up right. Because the church ain't about any man in the church. The church is about Christ. If it's not about Christ, then it ought to fail. If it's not about Christ, then the doors ought to be shut. Doesn't matter who's there and who's not there. Everything's about Christ. But, but here you got these men. I don't know how the church would have felt in that day. But I know how it would look in today's day. I know how if you had the Apostle Paul and Barnabas right here in this church and they left this church, you'd be, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Listen, that's just the mentality of people. When God takes and he moves somebody from a church, it's like it's some terrible thing. Why is it a terrible thing for God to move his, his pawns? They look, it's like something's got to be wrong, right? I mean, if somebody's leaving, there's got to be a problem, there, there's got to be something going on. There's got to be something stirred up. It can't be just that right there. Bottom line, when God moves his pawn to accomplish his will, is his will and not ours. Our job is just to stay out of the way. Our job is to do what God gives us to do, nothing more, nothing less. Do exactly what God wants us to do when he wants us to do it. If a church is training people to serve, you can't not expect God to move people out of that church. If a church is truly bringing people up and discipling them, and I don't think we're doing a very good job of that. That's why we're making this change on Sunday night to try to do a better job. I heard the ladies had a great time Sunday night, had a great lesson Sunday night. I'm excited about the men's getting going. I'm excited about this Saturday night and doing some things with the men to get going to disciple that we grow up stronger Christians, better teachers. But you got to believe that if you're training people up, they got to go out. God's going to take them out and use them. But, but it's not a loss. It doesn't create a void when God moves somebody out. We were talking about, I can't remember if I shared it with you guys. I know I've talked to a few folks about it. But we talked about a finger and a glass of water. Did we talk about that? You take it out, there's not a void. There's just a spot to put in another finger. Well, that's what it is when, when God moves, moves his pawns around. You, you, you vacate a spot. To move somebody to a spot. To move somebody to a spot. To move somebody to a spot. All it is is God just training people up. I was thinking, as I was looking, I'm going to wind up getting lost and I'm not going to finish tonight. But I was thinking back, do you know, I remember when Jason Ritter wasn't doing nothing in this church. I remember when he started working in Awana, he trained up under Paul, working over there, and then he got doing game time. I remember when he sat in my office and I asked him about taking over middle school ministry and it scared him to death. 
But I also remember when they prayed about it, he said, man, he started getting excited because the Lord started landing on his heart. You could see God doing something there and trained him up. And, and, and we've watched as others work in that ministry and serve in that ministry. And we've seen how God continues to use Awana and children's program to train people up all the way back down to getting somebody off the pew. The next Billy Graham is sitting on a church pew doing nothing somewhere. And until there's something to get him off the pew, that's where he's going to sit. Now, that something is a drawing of the Holy Ghost. Then he's got to fill it, but there's got to be an opportunity. So anyway, I'm going to wind up not getting finished because I'm going to get caught out on stuff. We see from the very beginning that God took some of the most dedicated servants of this church and he sent them out on the mission field. God did not send a novice out. He didn't send somebody new into the ministry. He didn't send somebody out that was just getting off the pew. He didn't send a new convert, somebody that just got saved. He didn't send somebody who hasn't had to endure the storms yet. He, hadn't, he didn't send somebody that hasn't been through the, the problems of the ministry. If you think the ministry don't carry problems, you've never been in it. The, he didn't send people out that hasn't had to endure being stabbed in the back. He didn't send people out that hasn't had to endure the complaints of everybody else when they're really not doing anything wrong. He sent some people out that were established in the ministry. Some people that had been stabbed in the back enough times to know that it didn't matter. God had their back. And it really ain't about them. It's all about Christ, right? He called some people out of the church that, that are men who are focused on God instead of focusing on problems. If Paul and Barnabas were here today and they went 20 miles up the road, a lot of people from the church would leave and go with them. You know what's wrong with that? It's following God. I mean, it's following mortal man over following God. We've seen it before in this church. We've seen it recently. We'll probably see it some more. It's called following man. God help you. That's all I got to say for you. Go do it if you want to. It's between you and God. That doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and all we can, and you're doing the same. But I'm just telling you, it's nothing. If Paul and Barnabas went up the road, people would follow them. It's all over this town. You, you see it. it. It's just... I'm just going to leave that alone. I would tend to think that the church at Antioch would have felt the loss. I would tend to think that the church at Antioch, like, man, we got to find some new Sunday school teachers. we got to find some new preachers. I mean, how are you going to replace the Apostle Paul? Anybody thought about that? I mean, he's a member there. He's, he's, he's like maybe, well, he's not a deacon because the Bible doesn't give us that. But, but how do you replace a man like that? Well, look at what the text says about the men. They are prophets and teachers. This is men that speak with authority. This is men who is anointed and appointed. They have a purpose. They are anointed by the Holy Ghost to do something. They are appointed to positions. And, and here we see these spiritual giants, the backbone of the church, being called. And there's five of them. There's five. You go back and read it. There's five. He said, separate out Paul and Barnabas. But there's five of these spiritual giants in the church. I mean, oh, no, what are we going to do if they leave? Surely the church is going to fold. That's the perspective of people that are focused on things other than the things of God. If Paul had stayed at the church at Antioch, think about the great loss to the ministry. If Paul had stayed at the church at Antioch, we don't have the great missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Anybody ever been through some times of suffering and God reminded you of Paul's letter about all that he's been through? 
the shipwrecks and the beatings and the trials and suffered at the hands of the friends and the hands of the enemy, suffered in the wilderness and suffered in the city. Anybody ever been going through something? God reminds us, well, well if, he doesn't, if he doesn't leave the church at Antioch, we don't have any of that. If he doesn't leave the church at Antioch, there's a really good chance that we don't have 13 letters to the church in the New Testament. You know why? We don't have the church because the Apostle Paul went to the cities, preached in the cities, founded the church, and then left and wrote letters back to the churches that he founded. So if the Apostle Paul stays at Antioch, think of the untold millions of people that are in hell today because they never heard the gospel. Think about the Apostle Paul's life. Would anybody dare to think that there's anybody else that probably led more people to Christ than the Apostle Paul? I mean, I think you'd be hard-pressed, even including Peter. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a man that's more dedicated about witnessing. The Apostle Paul went and preached. You'd be hard-pressed to to find anybody that had led more people to the Lord than the Apostle Paul. But what about the Scriptures? What about what the 13 Gospels of the New Testament or the 13 letters, epistles to the church? Think about what they've done over 2,000-plus years and how many souls have been led to Christ through the writings of the Apostle Paul that if he doesn't lead the church at Antioch, we probably don't have any of them. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, what, it's just the truth of things around here. I, I don't know... Maybe people don't understand. I, I mean, do people think I don't feel a void from somebody like Jason Ritter? Jason, Jason's a very good friend of mine that we talk all the time. Somebody that I love to death and somebody that, listen, if there's anything, Jason and Dale, call, I call them. If there's storms brewing up, I call them. Hey, man, let me know about church. During that COVID deal, man, I relied on him heavily because he had information he could get it. So do you think I don't fill the void of of somebody like that not being in a staff meeting with me? Does anybody think that this church doesn't fill the void of somebody like Brian and Andrea Hutchins being called away from me? You think we don't fill that? Everybody around them fills that. It creates a void, but but it's a vacuum. It creates an opportunity for somebody else to step up. It creates an opportunity for somebody else to serve. And our job is to continue to constantly be reaching back, reaching back, reaching back to train up, to train up, to train up. Listen, I heard somebody say years ago that people judge churches today by how many people come, and that is a huge mistake. A church ought to be judged by how many people go. A church judged by how many people come into the sanctuary on Sunday morning means nothing, except they may, it may mean that they have great service. It may mean they have great entertainment. But if a church is really strong and a church is doing, doing very well in training people up, there's going to be a lot of people go out. There's going to be preachers go out. There's going to be missionaries go out. There's going to be associate pastors go out. There's going to be ministers of music go out. If a church is really doing something, that, that is the job. I'm quite positive that the church at Antioch would have had to have felt the loss of these men. Verse number 2 says that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, that the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereinto I have called them. They spent time in prayer, and they spent time fasting. That's a huge problem in this world today. We don't do either one of those nearly enough. They sought the will of God, and the Holy Spirit showed them what to do. The first part of the verse says that they ministered, to the Lord. That word ministered, everybody ready for this one? That means that, that is, it carries the idea of a public service at one's own expense. Did you get the last half of that? It means public service 
at one's own expense. You know what that means? Ministry is going to cost you something. Serving God is going to cost you something. Being a true servant costs some stuff. It shows that, that when we set out to truly serve God, we have to be prepared to sacrifice some things. Sacrifice time. Sacrifice money. Sacrifice reputation. Sacrifice any imaginable because Lord knows the world's going to try to tear you down, right? But, but can I just go ahead and throw a little one out there since I already got everything tonight all messed up anyway? You ain't got to look out there to get tore down if you're in ministry. You got plenty of them right inside these four walls every Sunday morning. You got plenty of mealy mouth right inside the church. The devil's got people everywhere trying to tear stuff down. And a lot of Christians are letting the devil use their lips. When you say something negative about any other Christian, you're letting the devil use your mouth, your tongue. I'm going to wind up preaching for it's said and done. I'm sure the world, I'm going to wind up in trouble. It says that they ministered, they fasted, they sought God's will, they ministered as to the Lord, they fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. It seems very obvious that the Holy Spirit is already doing a work in them personally. That always has to come First, the Holy Spirit has to be doing a work in somebody personally. You listen, we, we can try to make a square peg fit in a round hole all we want. We're, we're as bad as anybody. You let somebody join the church as a teacher works in the school system, and they won't be here a month. We're trying to put them in the children's ministry. You don't know my thought of that? They work with kids all day long. You know the last thing they want to do on Sunday is see the face of a young'un. If they're called in the ministry to go back there, glory to God, we need them, send them back there. But if they're not, leave them alone. They might want to come in here and cook. They might just want to mail letters off to missionaries' wives. But, but the Holy Spirit deals with people. We're called to serve by the Holy Spirit, not by men. It's the Holy Spirit that burdens a heart. It's the Holy Spirit that guides and directs. It's the Holy Spirit that moves the hearts of men to accomplish the will of the Father. It says that the Holy Spirit, it, it takes our attention here in the verse number 3, it turns it to the elders of the church, that when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So now we're dealing with the elders of the church. What we see is that the elders of the church are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even though it might possibly be difficult to send these men away, even though you may not know who's going to step up, they do know that if the will of God is not followed, then the work of God will be hindered. If the will of God is not followed, then the work of God will be hindered. Verse number four, that we begin the first ever missionary journey, they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence sailed to Cyprus. Something that I see here in this city is that Paul evangelizes cities. Now, we're going to see a method as we look here. I'll mention it again in a minute. We'll see a method how when he goes in, he goes into the synagogues. He goes into where the Jews are. That's kind of like his first stop when he goes in. But the apostle Paul reaches city. Do, do you know why we have the letter to the church at Galatia? Because he ministered to Galatia. Do you know why I have the church at Thessalonica? Because he preached to Thessalonica. I mean, he preached at the ball fields. 
He, he preached on the streets. He preached at the marketplaces. He preached out there where the world was. He preached out there where people could hear the gospel. He didn't just set up camp and say, if you want to hear the gospel, you got to come in here to hear it. The apostle Paul went out and he preached, but here's the most important part of the ministry that needs to be reminded and rejuvenated in the church today. He preached Jesus Christ. See, here's why it's important. We are a people of traditions. I'm sorry, we're creatures of habit. You think we ain't creatures of habit? Let me change the color of these pews and find out what happens come Sunday morning. All I got to do is change the carpet. I mean, all you got to do, you think we ain't creatures of habit? You have no idea what I heard when I took the red hymnals out the back of the pews. For those of you now, you can tell me thank you because it ain't hitting your knee all the time when you're sitting there. For all those little small churches that we gave red hymnals to that don't have all this, they're telling us thank you because they got a bunch of new books. But I took all kind of chatter and garbage because I got the red hymnals out of people. Glory to God. When's the last time we picked them up? They were just dust collector. All you got to do is change something. We are creatures of habit to the core. You start changing the music, you change the lights, you change anything, people get all kind of bent out of shape. The apostle Paul didn't preach anything about the building. He didn't preach anything. See, we've been taught a lot of stuff in church that wasn't Jesus. Oh, somebody sit down and hold on. I ain't done yet. I grew up being taught a lot of stuff in the church that was not Jesus. I was taught about this stuff right here. I was taught about this stuff right here. I was taught about this stuff. That's not Jesus. Had nothing to do with Jesus. I was legalized to death when I was growing up. The apostle Paul didn't teach that. He didn't go into the city and start talking about coat and tie. He didn't go in and start preaching about length of dress. He didn't go in and start preaching about what you can wear and what you can't wear. He didn't go in there and preach about your hair's got to be this long, but it can't be this long. He didn't go in there talking about them balls, them tattoos, and chewing tobacco, and smoking cigarettes, and, and drinking beer. He, didn't, he preached Jesus Christ. You want to know why he left a legacy of Christians behind him? Because he preached Jesus Christ. You want to know what's wrong with the church today? We're so caught up in trying to fix everything in here, and we're not out there preaching Christ. The apostle Paul set the standard. He said, be like me. You want to be like Paul? Go out there and tell somebody about Jesus. Don't come in here and worry about what somebody does have on or don't have on. Don't come in here and worry about how long somebody's hair is or somebody's hair isn't. Don't, don't come in here and worry about how you think things ought to be done. Go out there and tell somebody about Jesus. That's the purpose of the church. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what the apostle Paul did. He went in and he left a legacy. And obviously preaching Jesus works because he left a trail of Christians behind him. He left a trail of people, not just Christians. He left a trail of churches behind him. And the churches that, that reached more because they all preached Christ. Everywhere he went, God used him to do amazing things because he preached Jesus Christ. We try to complicate things. It's not that complicated. We're just saying it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Jesus, when demons flee, sickness has to go. Jesus, the wonderful name. Je it's all about Jesus. We complicate things because we try to make it Jesus plus. It's not. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. Where, Lord, where am I at? What verse am I? Verse number five. When they were at... 
and Solomon's, they preached the word in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had to John, had John to their minister. Now, Cyprus is, is an important place. We've looked at it some, has been the stronghold of, of the Roman Empire there in the region. I think we ought to looked at it before, but Solomon's is the commercial capital of the Roman Cyprus, and Paphos was the political capital. This is some important cities. These are some serious strongholds, and there's a lot of Jewish synagogues here in the region. So when the Apostle Paul come in, he went in to the synagogue. Now, understand, to go out to the street with a Gentile in that day, it's not the generation that we're used to that's probably heard the gospel their whole life. This is some Gentiles that they've never known anything but the Greek gods and goddesses and the Roman gods and goddesses and all of the, the false gods of the world. They don't really know the things of Christ. So by going into the synagogue, at least there were some people that knew the things of God. The Jewish synagogue at least knew the Old Testament and the law. They at least had some kind of background on where the earth was formed and who created it and who spoke it into existence and who created Adam and Eve. They at least had some understanding of the things of God. And if there was any chance that anybody has at least heard the name of Jesus Christ, it would be them in there because somebody of the Jews probably said something about what happened. So the apostle Paul goes into the synagogue. But here's something else important. He didn't go in there to establish common ground. The apostle Paul didn't go into the synagogue with the Jews where they're under the law and, and try to find some common ground and some, well, we can agree to disagree here, but, but you know, this is kind of a strong point here. He, he didn't go in there to, to compromise. He went in the synagogue to preach Jesus Christ. He went in there to preach that your law is dead. The law is fulfilled. His name is Jesus Christ. You don't have to sacrifice the goats anymore. You don't have to sacrifice the sheep anymore because the perfect lamb of God has paid all of it in full, and his name is Jesus Christ. So he went in preaching the gospel. This is the first time that we see him go in on right here into one, but we see it throughout as we study here. We'll see him go several times into the synagogues, but here's what we see. Every time he goes into the synagogue, he does the same thing. He goes in right out the gate preaching Jesus, and it don't take him long to get thrown out. But because he went in and preached Jesus, by the time he was thrown out, he already had new converts. Because he went in and preached Jesus, he already had people that were redeemed from the law that would go out, and now, now you got some people to go out, and you begin building churches. The text says also that they had John to their minister. Now, this would have been John Mark, the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark, but this is a completely different word, minister. A while ago, we looked at that word minister, and we talked about minister is a public servant at their own expense. That would be the Greek word translated there. The one used right here, it, it describes a servant as like an oarsman on a boat. Y'all seen the pictures of those old boats where you had it's like a tall boat and the, where the water line, you got the surface up here, there's holes in the side, and you got the oarsman down there rowing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Nothing else was saying to some old, you know, hey, he, he. Well, those are like the low men on the totem pole. They're the low men on the boat servants. And that's the kind of servant that he's talking about here in this. But here's the problem. Mark, John Mark, is not mentioned in the send-off with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit names five men, and he says, separate from me Barnabas and, and Saul. But he don't say nothing about John Mark. So right here we get kind of a side note that, hey, you know, by the way, ministering low man on the pole over here, you got... John Mark, it doesn't tell us why he's with them. 
It doesn't tell us why he's on the journey. I don't know. Maybe his Uncle Barnabas invited him along on the trip. Maybe he is one of the young men, one of the up and coming in the church that, that they see God doing a work in and they know it's going to be something. Maybe Uncle Barnabas thought this would be a, a great training tool, so he, he carries him along on the trip. I, I have no idea why he's on it. I know that because it doesn't say, but, but I also know that he is not mentioned in the send-off of the Holy Spirit, and that's important. He creates a lot of speculations as to why he is even there, if somebody is not called by the Holy Spirit to go, then they shouldn't go, regardless of who they're going with. If they're not led of the Holy Spirit to do, then they shouldn't do. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that Mark isn't called, but, but I am saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't mention him in the calling. I am saying that when they're sent out, he's not part of it. And right here, he just puts in a little side note as he's kind of a little tag along. You know, if, if a missionary is home on furlough and say he's from somewhere in Africa and he comes here and he talks to somebody and, and that man, they've got a heart for those people, man, I, and he's asking him questions and they've got a love for those people and he can see that and something in their life and they're focused on those people. Maybe they've been sending mission money to that region and he invites him to go with him and he takes him. He just made a mistake. If the Holy Spirit didn't tell him to take him, if the Holy Spirit didn't tell that man that's where to go, it's going to be a hindrance to him, it's going to be a hindrance to the missionary, and it's going to be a hindrance to the work. And we're going to see it right here in this story as we go on. So I, I'm not saying that he's not sent. I'm simply saying that he's not mentioned. So we're just using it for, for a good study purpose. The Holy Ghost, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And what we find out, is that John Mark becomes a thorn in the ministry. I'm going to come back to this, but I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 15 just to kind of sum this up because there's a huge disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. As a matter of fact, y'all remember in our study when, when, when Saul was saved and he came back, y'all remember when he went and wanted to talk to the disciples and they were terrified of him, right? Y'all remember that. It ain't been that far back we studied. They wouldn't have nothing to do with him. They're scared. They can't believe it. Who was it that took him in and introduced him? Barnabas. Barnabas is the one that said, hey, he's a real deal. I've heard him preach Christ. I've heard him talk about salvation. I, I've heard him preach the gospel. I mean, he's the one that brought him to the apostles. So these are close friends. These are two that are in the ministry together. And, and right here, they have such a serious argument that they split up. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you. You can study around and you can get all the commentaries you want. There's a commentary for everything out there. And there's commentaries in all directions. So the only thing to stay with is the Word of God. Everybody agree with that? If, if a commentary does not stay within the Word of God, then don't use that person anymore. I'm just looking at what the Scripture says. There are those in commentaries who will play this down and say, well, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like they had a big argument. It's not, it's not like these two great men of God. Surely they'd never split up. Do you realize how strong a Christians these are? Well, they would never have an argument. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Well, they just agreed that they would go in different directions so that they could reach more air. That is not what the Bible says. Verse number 13, I know I'm ahead of myself, but verse number 13, back in our text, Acts chapter 13, says that when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned Boom, to Jerusalem. Was that, was that a kaboom or was that thunder? You never know around here anymore. Yep. 
So, so here's what we don't know. We don't know why John Mark left. We don't really know why he left the ministry. All we know is that something is going on, and in the middle of it, John Mark left. But what we do know from chapter 13, verse 6 and 7, is that when they had gone through the Isle of Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer. Here's, here's some keys. A sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus which was the deputy of the country, well, he was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So this Sergius is traveling with a sorcerer. This is a man who has somebody that is anti-God, anti-Holy Ghost. He is traveling with this man, and he comes in, and, and we know from verse number 12 that after hearing the gospel, that Sergius is saved. We know that he trusts Christ. And right after that, John Mark left. Right after this man traveling with the sorcerer is saved, and Paul says he's saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, John Mark left. So here's what we don't know. We don't know why he left, but we know when he left. And we know that it ain't popular with the Apostle Paul. Some say that he probably left because he just couldn't believe that that man traveling with a sorcerer could be saved. You realize the Jewish law is still alive and well at this time, right? Now, I mean, you still got a lot of debate going on over circumcision and uncircumcision. You still got a lot of things. But, but some, some scholars even say that, that they believe that that's the time when he left because he was upset by it and that he went back and told the leaders of, of the synagogue, the Jewish leaders about it, and now they're all been out of shape about it before Paul ever got back. Now, in chapter 15... Just before Paul is about to leave on his second missionary journey, after they've gone out on the first one, come back, Paul and Barnabas, so they're getting things ready. They're getting everything gathered up for the trip. They're getting ready to go, and they have a serious disagreement. And the whole thing centers around John Mark. Chapter 15, verse 36 says, Some days after Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose sure name was Mark. Paul thought it not good to take him with him, who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. This is not some little small disagreement. This is not some little, well, I think so, well, I don't, let's just agree to disagree, and we'll just go in different directions. That's not what, this is a heated discussion. It says right there in verse number 7 that Barnabas was determined. In verse number 39, it says that the contention was so sharp between them. Now, here's something that caught me off guard. I, I, I like doing the, the Greek study and, and the Hebrews. I like, I like the words. I like looking to see what they are. And if you want to know if this is a serious Discussion. If you want to know if this is a real argument between two men of God, it hangs on two words, right? Contention and sharp. So if contention isn't that big a deal, then this argument isn't that big a deal. If sharp disagree, if, that, if that's not big, if that's not a big deal, then, then maybe the argument's not a big deal. But when I looked up the word, the Greek word there for contention and the Greek word there for sharp was the exact same word. I did it three times, and it comes up the same every time. 
It's the exact same word. It means to dispute in anger. That, so the contention was so sharp means that the anger was so angry. The mad was so mad. The heat was so heated. You kind of get the point. So here's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. That sometimes, even within the church, even within Christians, the devil just gets in. Sometimes the devil just puts people in. I don't know. I mean, John Mark obviously goes on to be an incredible man of God, and, and he writes one of the Gospels. He's obviously used of God. But at that time, it would seem as though the devil was allowed to put somebody in that split up two great men of God. Now, God had to have allowed it. Everybody agree with that? There's no way it happened except God allowed it. And, and I mean, I could look and say, well, I can see why God would have allowed it. Look at the great work Barnabas did. Look at the great work Paul did. And maybe God allowed it to split. You know, we saw that earlier, right? God allowed Stephen to be stoned, but when Stephen was stoned and the persecution began, all of the Christians fled Jerusalem, and when he did, Christianity spread like wildfire. So God allowed Stephen to be stoned, but there was some good come out of it. We just have to know, even in bad things, God always has a plan. No matter what happens, God always has a plan. No matter how dark it seems, God always has a plan. No matter what kind of turmoil or distress, God always has a plan. If God allows it, God's going to purpose something for it. God's going to build us in it. God's going to strengthen us through it. God's going to do a work. We talked about it at the men's meeting. Which, by the way, those of you that was there last night, thank you very much. We had an incredible men's prayer meeting last night. The Spirit was in there. I, I don't know if everybody felt what I felt. But, but I'm telling you, last night, I, just, I felt the Lord moving there. We all prayed together. But, but for those of you that wasn't able to be there, the thing that I talked about was God showed me point blank as I was praying about this church and God take us where we need to go. And he said, I can't take you where you need to go because you're not ready. I can't take you where you need to go because you're not ready. That means we're not praying enough. That means we're not battle-tested enough. That means we've not been through enough or we've not conquered enough. That means God's still working on us. God's still shaping some things to make us stronger so that when the stronger battles come, we'll be prepared. All I know right here is, is that John Mark left, and Paul said, he's not going with me. I can't trust him. I don't trust him. And I'm not going to take him because it would be a hindrance to the ministry. So, so speculation is that John Mark wasn't mentioned in the Holy Ghost send-off. So maybe it was Barnabas' idea to take him. Maybe it wasn't God's idea because if, if the Holy Spirit was going to send him, then he should have been mentioned with the five going out, and he should have been mentioned when he said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. But he didn't. He mentioned who he wanted to go, but then we find the other one here. So, so what, what we learn and Let's, let's just take some speculation in it and say that because the Holy Spirit didn't send him, it's still true, whether it fits here or not. It's not God's will plus anything. It's just God's will. When God sends you to go do something, it's not God's will plus anything. It's just God's will. When God sends you to go talk to somebody, if he didn't say call a friend and ask them to go, then it's not God plus anybody. I've done that. I've told you. I'm not going to back up and share that story. I've done that. I tried to get somebody to go with me. I didn't go, and that person died. I never got to talk to him, and I ain't never going to forget it because God ain't never going to let me. When God says go, go, you don't let nobody go with you. 
If God tells you to take somebody, go. If it's going to be some type of something to settle a disagreement, the Bible says take one with you, and the two or more need to go. But if God says go, go, it's not God's will plus anything. There's been a lot of problems in the mission field. There's been a lot of problems in missions. There's been a lot of problem in the church. And there's been a lot of problems in our lives because it's God plus. Well, God, I hear what you're saying, but. Well, God, I, I, I know, but. That, that's against my nature. I'm not good at that. I, I don't know that I can do that by myself. Glory to God, you're getting it. You can't do it by yourself. That's why he gave it to you to do. And he doesn't want you to do it by yourself. He wants you to do it in his strength. So it's not God plus anything. It is just God. So I, I know they've already done a kaboom, which means they were trying to get ahead of the rain, and that means I'm a little late getting out. But they told me to run a little bit later if I could to give them time to do the fireworks. And that's two out of three times I preached that they shot the fireworks off while I was preaching. Can't go by nothing they say, can we? God plus anything. Lord willing, we'll pick up, we'll pick up next week. I, I, I pray God give you something. I just, I just love studying. I love seeing what the book says and see what God can teach us. Lord willing, we're, we're going to back back up to that sorcerer. We're going to pick up right there next week and, and look at the sorcerer and what he wanted and, and look at, at the, the, the um, Sergius that was saved out of the process. And God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your book. God, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your long-suffering. Thank you for being patient with us, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. God, thank you for teaching us your word and strengthening us, Father. I pray you'd go out with each of us. I pray you'd help us, God, to, to love one another. I pray you'd help us, God, to hold one another up in prayer, God. I pray you'd help us to be usable vessels. May the world see Christ in us and Christ through us. Lord, help us to tell the world about Jesus. Nothing else matters. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.